If you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to uh, 1 Thessalonians 5. 1 Thessalonians 5. Um, a little bit later on, I'll give you guys some, some background as far as how I got to this particular message today. Uh, but I was joking with Brother Rick earlier, and, and I'm not kidding when I say I don't have a title, and I don't have any points to this message. Um, we're just, I'm just going to try. I'm just going to try and, uh, and, and let the Word of God speak this morning. Uh, I was really encouraged by some things that Brother Dan said this morning in, in adult Sunday school. And uh, Folks, good, some, there's some good stuff. Uh, Brother Dan went over some really good stuff today. And, and if anything, I think it was another perfect example of, you know what, you, you don't even have to come up with the answers. You just got to be willing to go in and look. And, and just let the Word of God have its way with you. And uh, so I really appreciate this, that this morning and, and th- think it kind of tied into at least where I was going uh, with this message. So I, I appreciate that, Brother Dan. All right, so First uh, Thessalonians 5.14, the Bible says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. Let me pray. Uh, Father God, once again, uh, as it's been said uh, multiple times this morning, we are so thankful uh, to be here, to be here in your house, to know that we do have a place that we can come, the lights are on, we've got a a warm roof over our heads and uh, good fellowship and good friends, and and Lord God, we know that uh, the reason that we have the ability to come here is because of your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord God, I I pray that you uh, let us take rest in that for a minute this morning to to leave the world outside and uh, the cares and the stripes and the things that are weighing us down and, uh, and come together and rally around your word, hear the teaching and preaching of your word. I thank you for the teaching that, is, that has already gone forward this morning. Pray that it's been good in the other Sunday school classes as well. Uh, but Lord, I, I pray that you hear, uh, help me here now. Uh, Lord God, you know the things uh, uh, that I've written down, but Lord, uh, uh, whether it's taking me off my notes or having me expound more on something, Lord, I, I, I'm asking that you take over. Uh, and just help me be a faithful messenger of your word here this morning. Lord, we love you. Thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. So, even with that verse right there, I want to hit on a couple of things first. Exhort. What is that? To strongly encourage or urge something, someone or something to do something. I remember a lot of times as as I first was getting back into church and sitting under good preaching and, and living all over the country that I've heard that presented in so many times and, and sometimes where I would sit here and scratch my head and, and I'd heard it presented, you know, like in the context of 2 Timothy 4.2, right? Preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. And it was like, oh, all three of those are negative. That's negative, negative, negative. And I'm like, well, I don't hear that. I hear that an exhortation is supposed to be an encouragement. And, and yes, it can be emphatic. Like, I guarantee you millions and millions of people this afternoon will be exhorting the TV screen as if by some magical way your words have a way of going through the screen, into the coach's headphones, out to the quarterback. Like, somehow, we, we actually think that's going to happen. Right? But it's an exhortation, is it not? I mean, even if your team is down, you know, it's 4th and 99 with two minutes to go and, and down by six points, and somehow you're, you're going to call the winning play. 
right? Uh, but folks, that is an exhortation. But do we apply that same level of exhortation within the church? I mean, do it at the TV screen, do it at the game, but well, well, don't bring that in here. Don't bring a word of exhortation into the people of the church, the people that are hurting and struggling and behind six points in the fourth quarter. The Bible tells us to exhort you, brethren, and then therefore, who are the brethren? It's not the world. It's not those that are lost. It's not those that aren't in church this morning. It's the brethren. It's those of you here this morning that made it a point to be here. And, and we're thankful for that, right? Praise the Lord for churches all over this country that are gathering on a Sunday morning to hear the teaching and the preaching of the Word of God. And we need that exhortation. But, but then what I also notice in this verse, now, I, I don't think... I don't think there's anyone in here that's unruly. Maybe parents have a different opinion of that of some of their kids. I don't know. Right? Um, but warn them that are unruly. Comfort the feeble-minded. Support the weak. Be patient toward all men. So I hope that within that verse right there, we're, we're pretty much hitting everybody. Like, if you don't fall into one of those categories... Praise the Lord, uh, but I, I can't imagine that we, the, that we miss anybody there. And, and as I go through some of these verses here today, I promise you the prayer that I had even this morning as I got up was like, Lord, help, help me reach everybody today. Everybody. Like, like this isn't a specific message with a specific point, hoping that, that I can like laser-guided sniper somebody in here today. No, the, like I'm really praying for the shotgun approach, right? I'm just going to throw out a bunch of pellets and, and hope that it hits everybody. And, and so what started me, I, I had been working on a message Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Wednesday. I thought that I'd finally gotten to the point, even started, even started working on my slides, but I saw this little rabbit trail, and I chased that rabbit trail, and all of a sudden, like, oh, man. <laughs> and I'm hitting the delete button, and I'm starting all over. And so a little bit later, I'll get to um, kind of what led me on this particular trail, uh, but I think you guys will pick up on the pattern. So what we're going to do today is we're just going to look at a group. We're going to look at a bunch of verses and then let those verses see if they don't fall on each of us where we're at today. So the first one being 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. <clears throat> if you want to turn there, if you want to make notes, but, but I'm going to try and keep rolling through these. Uh, the Bible says, Talk no more so exceeding proudly. Let not arrogancy come out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty men are broken, and they that stumbled are girded with strength. Now, I do believe it's, it's always a good idea not to just take a couple of verses without getting the context. So the context here is we, we have Hannah, right, who had been struggling. She was barren. She was childless, and, and she had been seeking the Lord. So even if you just look over 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel uh, chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, says, And she was in bitterness of soul, and prayed unto the Lord, and wept sore. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid, 
and remember me, and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. Okay, so then in, in 1 Samuel chapter 2, we have Hannah's prayer, because she had that child. And she held up her end of the bargain, and she brought that child uh, to Eli to, to give Samuel to the Lord. And, and so now in chapter 2, it even starts off, chapter 2, verse 1, and Hannah prayed. So, so these verses are part of her prayer. And so I, I think a couple of things that we can pick up on here, uh, and again, where, where I'm trying, right, where I'm trying to, praying, right, that the Lord will help me reach everyone where they're at. Folks, in the first part of that, Hannah was bitter, and she was weeping sorely. I don't know. Are you in that place where you have been praying about some things, you're looking for some things, you're looking for guidance, you're looking for whatever it is, and, and you're going to the Lord and you're pleading? And, and, and please understand what I'm saying. Don't, like, I'm not saying you're, you're trying to enter this bargaining phase, this bartering phase with the Lord. right? I mean, we know the Bible says, if you, then God. Now, truth is, this may be one of, the, one of those portions where it actually is the other way around. Right? Where, where Hannah's saying, hey, Lord, if, if you, then I'll do this. Right? But, but that's not the norm. We know that. It's more if you, then God. But, but there's something to be said that there is a difference between wanting and seeking and doing all these things and running around like a chicken with your head cut off trying to make them happen versus just earnestly seeking the Lord. And knowing that at some point, you've you just got to... you just Again, it's not, don't stop praying, don't stop doing the things that you can do, right? I think Brother Jim says it a lot, and I like it, right? It's the whole, hey, you give Jesus the will, but he'll give you the gas pedal, right? I love that analogy, because that's exactly what it is. So you can either stomp on the gas pedal, or you can stomp on the brake, whichever one. But then the other part of that is, is now once the prayer has been answered and she's followed through her part and she's given Samuel back to the Lord and, and she's saying this prayer, I mean, look at these words here. Talk no more so exceeding proudly and let not arrogancy come out of your mouth. That, hey, folks, once that prayer has been answered or what, man, isn't, isn't that the hard part where all of a sudden we kick back in? Oh, look at what I did. You know, I finally got that job I deserved. Man, look at that. I finally got this. I finally got that. And it takes us all that long before all of a sudden we kick back in. And she's saying, no, 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 no. Help me keep my mouth shut. Help me not to exhort myself, but to give praise and honor and glory to the Lord because he's the God of knowledge. And folks, I've noticed that. And look, I'm going to use myself as my own bad example a lot today. Uh, I mean, I've noticed that even these last couple of weeks, going into churches, and, 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 I, and I'm knowing the situation, I'm knowing part of the reason why I'm there, and, and I'm trying to bring a message that is specific to that church and what they're going through, and, and, and you know, immediately people come up afterwards and they say, oh, thank you, thank you, you know, oh, that was just what we needed and whatever, and, and man, I've caught myself because I've immediately said, oh, thank you, oh, thank instead of saying what? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Like, if I brought what you needed, then that's the Lord, that's not me. Right? So I've got to keep myself in check 
Not to just start getting puffed up like, oh man, these people really love me and they should. I mean, by golly. <laughs> right? So I, I know that I, I've got to make sure that I don't get exceeding proudly and not let the arrogancy come because if the words came, then it's because it came from the Lord. Right? And, and, and thankfully, he was willing to use this knucklehead to bring that message. So let us, let us always be reminded that, that if we're in that place of wondering and not knowing and whatever, that, that when it finally comes, make sure that we don't let that go to our head uh, and, and that we still exhort the Lord. Be thankful, right? And the Lord wants us to be thankful. I mean, He wants to give us the desires of our heart, but only if, only if that heart is in line with Him. All right, All right the next one. 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. First Kings chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. The Bible says, And keep the charge of the Lord thy God to walk in His ways, to keep His statutes and His commandments and His judgments and His testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that thou mayest prosper in all that thou doest and whithersoever thou turnest thyself, that the Lord may continue His word which He spake concerning me, saying, If thy children take heed to their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, there shall not Fail thee, said he, a man on the throne of Israel. Okay, so there, there you do have more of the standard. If. If you will do this, then I will do this. If you, then God. So the context here is we have David literally giving his last words to Solomon. So this one is for you parents out there. What are those things that you say and do to build up your children as they move forward and as they grow up and they'll move out of the house and they'll start lives of their own. Because what I noticed in these verses is not only, not only does David start off with saying, hey, you've got to keep his ways and you've got to keep his statutes. and It's his, his, his. Keep God first. And, but then he goes on, if you'll read the rest of that chapter, maybe on your own time, you'll also notice that what David does is he, he also kind of starts going into, hey, but, but remember this guy. <laughs> you know, this guy started off, and man, he was my right-hand man, but then he, he, he took a hard left. So don't let him get away with that. But then remember this guy. This guy, at first, you know, he came out against me, and he cussed me, and whatever else, but, but then he turned it around. So remember that guy. In other words, what, what are those things that not only from the Word of God are you teaching your children, but, but what are those things where you want them to follow in your footsteps? Right? I mean, the things that you say, hey, look, man, I, I, I did this wrong. Please don't do that that way. I did this right. Please do this this way. What are those instructions? What, what is that legacy? What are those things that you are instilling in your children uh, to keep them on that right path and the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now, this next part, uh, please understand, I am not trying to 
point the finger at David. I'm, I'm not trying to cast a shadow on him, but, but I found this part interesting. Look at verse 9 and as it transitions from verse 9 into verse 10. Now therefore hold him not guiltless, right? He's talking about one of these guys. For thou art a wise man and knowest what thou oughtest to do unto him. But his whorehead bring thou down to the grave with blood. So David slept with his fathers. Now, I don't know, but I, I don't know if those were literally David's very last words. I know that's what we have according, written in the Bible, right? That his last words were uh, taken down to the, to the grave with blood. That's a, that's a pretty heavy saying, to be your last words to your child. And, and like I said, folks, look, I'm, I'm not pointing a finger at David here right now, okay? Please don't take that that way. The point that I'm saying uh, of where I'm trying to reach all of us today is saying, what are those parting words <laughs> that we say to anybody? And, and I don't care it's, if it's as you leave the home for the work day or, or you're leaving on a long trip or whatever. Um, I, I think back, uh, man, this last month for me, whether it's people I've known directly or people on the peripheral or whatever, but it's like, man, I've just seen a lot of people pass in the last couple of weeks. And I think about the last words that we had with one another and what I wouldn't give if they hadn't been better words, if they hadn't been more words of exhortation versus where things were left. I mean, you think back to tra tragic events like 9-11. You think of all the thousands of people that, that left this world that day. What were their last words? What were their last words as they left the house? So parents, I, I exhort you. I don't care if it's on a daily basis. I don't care if it's for a long vacation or whatever else. But, and don't, don't miss that chance. Don't miss that chance to just love the crud out of your kids. I had a friend that he told me, again, you know, I'm, I'm not a parent, I can't relate, but I understand. And he talked about that every time that he had to go in and, and chasing his kids, right, with that, that love pat on the fourth point of contact, he would say immediately afterwards, he'd make them hug. And it's like, man, I, I can't even imagine what that would have felt like. That if after a good spanking, you just hug. Because that's what our Heavenly Father does with us. Next one, First Chronicles. First Chronicles chapter 2. I even put all these handy little tabs in my Bible this morning, and it doesn't help. <laughs> like the pages. First Chronicles chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. The sons of Judah, Ur and Onan and Shelah, which three were born unto him of the daughter of Shua the Canaanitess, and Ur the firstborn of Judah, was evil in the sight of the Lord, and he slew him. And Tamar, Tamar his daughter-in-law, bare him Perez and Zerah. All the sons of Judah were five. Now, 
at first, this, this, these might seem like a couple of the most random verses. But again, let's put it into context. Yes, in the context, we, we get chronicles, right? There's a lot of lineages, a lot of genealogies, a lot of names, and, and it's hard to get through it if you're reading it. But folks, you know the, the context here, uh, verse 1, chapter 2, verse 1, these are the sons of Israel, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun, Dan, Joseph, and Benjamin, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. Right, so we're, we're getting, uh, we're just setting the stage of who everyone is and where they're going. But then when you dig a little deeper in this, we're looking at Judah, the sons of Judah, and who else do we know uh, uh, that came from the tribe of Judah? Our, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, came out of this mess. Folks, this is the start of the tribe, and look how it started off. It started off with an improper marriage, because Judah immediately went to the women of Canaan, who we're about to go in and wipe out, right? That as soon as the, the, the nation of Israel crosses over Jordan, right? I mean, we're supposed to wipe out the Canaanites. So we start off with the father of the tribe, improper marriage, we have Ur, the firstborn of Judah, who was so evil. Even if you try and go, man, like, what did he do? It doesn't say. It just said that he was so evil, he was so wicked, that the Lord just, just took him right out of there. So you, you almost got to think about how bad that was. I mean, because how long did the Lord put up with them before he brought the flood? Right? So you, got, you have the firstborn son who's so wicked that the Lord just takes him right out. Then you have a big mess. Right? Judah, his firstborn is, has passed. He, he was already married, but Judah said, okay, well, hey, I'll promise you my youngest son, you know, when he's grown up, you can have him. Uh, but he doesn't follow through on his promise. His wife dies. He's going and seeking the lust, the flesh, and the devil, and all that stuff and ends up having a child with his daughter-in-law. I mean, this is Jerry Springer stuff. Right? But at the same time, 2,000 years down the road, we get what? We get our Savior, Jesus Christ. So folks, if, if you think your life is a mess, join the crowd. The Lord seems to have a knack of making great things out of great messes. Yes. Amen. Right? He, he seems to do a pretty good job at that. And, and, and I know where, where I, I have beat myself up at times and gotten myself down because I've you know, lived all over the country and changed from job to job, and I'm sitting here going like, man, this, like, this is a mess. And the Lord's like, yeah. And most of the time you did it to yourself, but we're going to work through this. And I'm not saying I'm in a place that I've figured it out, but man, I'm trying. I'm going to take that next step, I'm going to take that next step, and I'm going to keep romping on the gas pedal, and you know, I'm either going to hit a brick wall or I'm going to win the Indy 500, one or the other. <laughs> right? So folks, no, no matter how much of a mess you may think things are right now, just give the, give the Lord time. Give Him room to work. Because if, if this was the way that the tribe of Judah started off, it's going to end with the line of the tribe of Judah coming back and setting all of this in order and setting everything straight.
So even in a great mess, in a great mistake, the Lord can still perform some pretty great things. Next one, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. First Corinthians chapter two, verses three and four. The Bible says, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So again, when we, when we look at the context here, and we go back to even to verse 1, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. You know, have you ever had someone, right, just in normal passing green, like, Hey, man, what do you know? I don't know nothing. <laughs> I say that all the time, trying to keep myself out of trouble, but... You know, but Paul took that one step further. Hey, man, what do you know, Paul? Oh, I don't know nothing, but I know Jesus. <laughs> you know, if there was ever anybody in the history of man that absolutely had the right and had all grounds to stand up and declare what he knew, it was Paul. I mean, Paul knew the Scriptures. Right? The, the message I did last week, I, I talked about that phrase, it is written. I, I mean, Paul references the Scriptures in the Old Testament and the Law. I mean, he, he references it like over 50 times. And not because he needed to stop and look it up. I believe that Paul knew it. <laughs> he knew it forwards and backwards. I mean, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, right? I mean, so if anyone could stand up and say, hey, you need to listen to me because I know what I'm talking about. Paul was still willing to humble himself and not say, look, it's, it's got nothing to do with what I know or what I know how to say it and when to say it and how to read the crowd and how to, right? No. It's like, man, the only thing I know is Jesus Christ. That's all I know. And how to keep the focus on him. But if you, again, please go back and, and read these chapters and, and so that you can follow along and understand what I'm saying is because then, then he gives this contrast, right, of, uh, of he talks about, you know, these princes and these rulers that they were constantly looking, you know, for, for their ways and their wisdom. And, and look, folks, I mean, that is what we're surrounded by. Like, by golly, we need to make every vehicle electric and we need to go live on Mars and we need to do this and we need to do that, right? Because we're constantly looking for our wisdom and for our way to save the world and save the planet and ah! <laughs> I just stop. I'm not driving an electric vehicle in Wisconsin in the snow and I'm not living on Mars. <laughs> but it's the Lord's wisdom that we have to constantly keep in front of us. I think the other thing you know over the last year or so because of places I've been, organizations that I've worked for and stuff like that and and what really stood out to me this time and what Paul was saying, right? For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Folks, it it truly is the simplicity of the gospel. You know, and, and Brother Dan, I know you were hitting on that this morning, right? I mean, because it's us, 
Right, it's, the, it's us that we are the ones that find a way to distort it, we confound it, we confuse it, we restrict it, we decide who it needs to go to, who it doesn't need to go to, we oversimplify, we overexplain, we do everything we can to mess up the gospel. Because we formulated these things in our mind of who we, who we reach with it and who we don't. Uh, you know, man, I'm trying really hard not to pick on things and stuff, whatever. But, you know, oh, I wear this little bracelet because, because it helps me explain the gospel and it's a really cute little... Blah, just, it's not complicated. It's not complicated. If, if you need to find some, some sort of tactic on how to share the gospel, I, I, I don't know. I mean, there's prayer, there's wisdom... There are ways that, uh, I mean, we're going to get to another verse here in just a second. But folks, each and every single person in here has time, talents, and treasures, and gifts, and ways, things of explaining people so that the Lord puts you exactly in the right path of someone else who needs to hear it at that exact time. And you're going to have a way of explaining it that I can't do it. And so let us not be the ones that create the restrictions and the timetables and the where's and the how's of how the gospel goes out. But exhort one another. Exhorting one another even in the delivery of the gospel because I think we'll see that uh, here in this next 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Hopefully you guys have started picking up on the pattern at this point. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. Amen. So once again, we look at the context. The context, you go back and, and Paul is, is ta- he's giving some background of how he even came to Thessalonica. By this point, he had already been beaten, bruised, and whipped, and whatever, but yet he's still going forward. Delivering the gospel. And, and then as I did some background research, I, and, and man, if I'm wrong, someone please stop me afterwards and let me know, but from what I see, uh, 1 Thessalonians is actually Paul's first epistle. I, at least what we have recorded in the Bible. He may have written letters before, I don't know, but, but at least according to our Bible, which I believe is perfect and true, that, that this is Paul's first epistle. But what's interesting about that is it was Thessalonica was part of his second missionary journey. That, that tells me or that gives me an idea that, man, Paul really got out there and got a lot of good experience. And he got a lot of good opportunities to teach and preach and go into churches and stuff like that before he started writing the very things that would, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, which again we talked about this morning, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, which became a foundational part of our church doctrine. It wasn't just like, oh, okay, I got saved, boom, I'm ready to go, and you better listen. (laughs) No, he took time. 
He took time to learn. And he took time to digest and absorb and utilize the Word of God before he went out there and and started writing these exhortations and these instructions and the doctrine. It's going to take time. So this past week, now I'll I'll kind of give you guys some some insight as far as how I even got here to this message. Um, You know, I've been out the last couple of weeks, and I I try really hard to always come up with a new message, a new church, and and whatever. And and this week when I got home, uh, I did. I started looking back. I I mean, I've got 10 years of messages saved in my computer now at this point. And I was going back and saying, okay, Lord, you know, can I? Can I go back and use something that I hadn't used since 2013, 2014? And, and found something, and I, and I was going through it and, and changing and, and trying to... But, but you know what it did is it gave me a lot of insight. Like, man, I've, I've learned a lot. And I can't believe I said some of the stuff I said. If this was written down the way I wrote it down, I, I'm a knucklehead. And it helped me. It helped me see where I've come. And seeing how I've grown in the Word of the Lord and seeing where I needed to change some things. So Paul took time. Um, but folks, so, so here's what it was. I, like I said, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I was working on a message and, and got to a point, kind of like what the last verse's instructor, no, the, yeah, um, my speech, preaching, enticing words, like I got to a point where I was like, okay, wait a minute. Like, man, am I, am I just trying too hard again, like coming up with my little acronyms and my points and my processes? And then I just kind of had this uneasiness that, man, I think there's a little too much of me coming out in this and a little too much of the points that I want to make. And so I had to stop. And one of the verses that I referenced in that message is this one that we're not gonna not gonna turn to I'm sorry it was actually this one so I'm gonna back up a second but anyway I one of my verses was first Timothy chapter 2 verses 3 and 4 and then for whatever reason I just I like numbers I like it when numbers show up in a neat way in the Bible so all of a sudden I was like man I wonder how many times that happens in the Bible how many times do you have one two three four like first this chapter this right and so I did. So I went and looked them all up, and I just copied and pasted them, put them on a piece of paper, and sat it down. And didn't, didn't even really think much else of it until Wednesday, when I'm literally like in the process of like, man, I'm ahead of schedule. I got my slides. I'm going to chill out on Thursday and Friday. And then all of a sudden, I went back, and I read every single one of those verses, and, and it was like, oh, my goodness. Like, it's amazing how much these verses connect to one another, from, from one end of the Bible to the other. And it also put me in that place of just saying, you know what, Mike, yeah, just, just let the verses speak. So I, I wasn't kidding when I said I, I have no title today. I have no points. I, I have no acronym. All right, we're, we're, just, we're just going through the Scriptures. But, but look, so you got 1 Corinthians 2, 3, and 4. And I want you to notice how these next two passages, man, like they are seamless. Like you could literally put these... So I'm going to read these and immediately go to the next. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. 
For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. I mean, Paul is constantly trying to even remind himself, of like, man, I, I am, I'm trying. I'm trying not to come to you with the things that I want to say and my points and whatever, but, but it's about the gospel. But what really stood out to me in these verses is that part where it says, notice, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel. Folks, it is only by the allowance and by the grace of God that I even have the ability to stand up here in front of you today. It is not anything that I've done. It's not because of my experience or, or because of what I think I was called to do. It is only because God allowed it. And I want to do my best to, to keep myself in that position because, uh, you know, I think about whether it's parents or, you know, I mean, parents, have you ever given something to your kid out, out of maybe a reward? Hey, they did right. They got good grades or whatever you get. And, and then all of a sudden they mess up and you do what? You take it back. Hey. Again, the only, the only experience I really have with this is trying to take a toy away from my dog, which doesn't usually work out well, because they just find it and grab it again anyway. It's like it doesn't matter where you hide it, they find it. But I wonder, isn't that a good picture of the things that, hey, we, we're, we're rewarded, we're doing things right, we're on track with God, we mess up. And again, as Brother Dan pointed out this morning, look, it's, a, it's not about losing our salvation, and it's not about losing our relationship with God, but, but I think that according to this verse right here, we, we can certainly lose our opportunities. We can certainly lose the rights and the privileges that come with that. I mean, if we say that, and whether it's those of us that have been called to preach or those that are teaching Sunday school or, or whatever, hey, if all of a sudden, you know, you're going sideways with the Lord and you're, you know, maybe dipping off into some sin or whatever else, then, then don't be expected if the <laughs> Lord says, mm, we're, we're going we're to pull you out of this here for a minute. We're going to give you some time to get some stuff straightened out in your life. Um. Like I, said, I don't want to go into a lot of details, but, but folks, that, that's exactly, you know, the, the church that I was in last week, um, that was almost exactly the situation. I mean, the, the bad thing is, is, it's a perfect example of two wrongs don't make a right. Um, I, I used to hear this saying from one of my pastors all the time, it's never right to do wrong to do right. That just because this may have been the right thing to do, you completely went the wrong way of doing it. And the outcome may still have been the right outcome, but the way you got to that outcome was completely wrong. And so each and every single one of us have to be careful with those positions that we're in, that all of a sudden we make this hard stand on this and a hard stand on that, and then, then are, are we not essentially putting ourselves that we could be in danger of, of losing that ability to share the gospel, to preach the gospel? I mean, it's that, it's that pride of life. And, and I think Paul did an amazing job uh, of constantly keeping us. I mean, what does he say? Again, that exhortation, exhortation, exhortation. Um, exhort, exhorted, exhortation shows up 29 times in the Bible. 
And you go and you look those up, and folks, more times than not, it is an encouragement. It is a, come on, man, stay in the fight. I know you're down. I know you've been beat up. I know you've been kicked in the pants, but come on. Stay in it. Stay with me. It's not of this, oh my gosh, you sorry, worthless Christian. Be done with you. That is not the context. It's an exhortation, and and it's taken that time to realize that, man, that is an amazing thing that God has allowed us to be put in trust with the God. I mean, if you really think about it, does any single one of us in here even have a right to be sitting in here today? Well, by golly, we're American, yeah. Nope. (laughs) It's only because He allowed it. Because at some point, He had enough grace with you in your life and in my life that He put someone else in your life to share the gospel with you. You know, and that made me think about this. You know, if if we were to take a poll or take a survey of how you got saved, I just wonder if the majority of the time people wouldn't have more of a testimony of like, yeah, my mom sat me down, my dad sat me down. In other words, someone had grace with you. Someone had compassion with you. Someone loved you enough. Are there going to be those testimonies? I mean, do we, have we all seen it? Have we done it? You know, whether it's through street preaching or, or listening to Final Fight, are there other ways? Absolutely. But I, I just wonder, for those of us that are sitting in here today, for those people that are mostly sitting in churches across America, I just wonder. I just wonder what the tally would be. And, and here's why I say that. I think of the people that the Lord has allowed me to present the gospel, and I think of the people that the Lord has allowed me to see them come to faith and trust in the Lord, and I'd be willing to bet, and I'm not, I hate saying this, but I'm going to admit it, I'd be willing to bet that the majority of those people are not in church today. Why? Because I, I, I never had the opportunity to build a relationship. I never had the opportunity to teach. I never had the opportunity to disciple. Does that make sense? I mean, can we still praise the Lord and, 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 and shout that, that more people are saved and going to heaven? Absolutely. But as pastor has been leading us through a lot of good Bible studies on Wednesday nights, as we talked about this morning, what, what is the context? The context from our very first verse this morning was, we exhort you, brethren, the church. Exhorting those that are in the church. All right, I'm getting a little behind. I apologize. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Now, I've hit on these a couple of times before, especially from the point of Bible study. Uh, but this is where I really, really want to stop and take a chance to exhort my brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. Folks, I... I've said it before, but I cannot say it enough, especially as I've been out on the road the last few weeks. Folks, we have something really, really special here at Berean Bible Baptist Church. We have people that you you practically have to kick out of the door on a Wednesday night so that people can go home and go to bed. Or on a Sunday. I mean, I, I, I have now, and I'm not 
pointing fingers and I'm not trying to discredit, but folks, I've been to churches in the last couple of weeks that they were having to kick me out 10 minutes after the service because they were already gone. And I'm, I'm standing around like, well, man, I guess I really bombed today. <laughs> I don't know. Wednesday nights, Thursday uh, women's Bible studies, Friday men's Bible studies. Right? I mean, we get together. And that is a rare thing today. But you know what it also means is it's up to us, as Brother Jeremy said in his prayer this morning, it's up to us to maintain it. Because guess what? We're just as susceptible. We can let this stuff die off, and then I promise you this church can turn right into every other single one, and 20 minutes after service is over on Sunday, the lights are already off, and it's, it's crickets chirping. So it's up to us. It's up to us to do what? To exhort one another and keep each other encouraged and keep each other in the fight. Because, like I just mentioned with that, that other example of, man, you know, seeing people get saved, but then they never come to church, because, folks, that's the second part of that verse. Hey, it's good. It's good that all people are getting saved. But, man, if we could just get them to the knowledge of the truth. You're not going to get them to the knowledge of the truth unless you build that relationship and you give them a reason to want to come in and partake of what you have. Uh, another saying, uh, a pastor, another uh, one of my pastors, he always said this, rules without a relationship breeds rebellion. Rules without a relationship breeds rebellion. And that can apply to parents. That applied to me as a coach. I mean, how was I ever going to get my athletes to do anything if all I ever did was rule after rule after rule after rule after rule after rule, but never did anything to meet them where they were at? There's no buy-in at that point. There's no desire for them to want to, to do the things I'm asking them to do. I want to try and get through the rest of these. First uh, Peter chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. If so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto lively stone, as unto a lively stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. That word right there, I think, gives more insight to the change in Peter than almost anything else. This is another aspect of grace and the grace that we have with one another. And it all comes down to that word precious with Peter. So think about it, folks. We're talking about Peter, right? The guy that <laughs> we love to pick on in sermons, right? Because he took one step out of the boat and he lost his faith and sank and he chopped guy's ear off and he constantly stood up, oh, Lord, I'll never forsake, I'll never turn my back on you, right? Warming himself by the word. Right? I mean, we've all used Peter. We've all used Peter. But the same Peter that pulled out his sword and chopped a guy's ear off is the same guy that later on uses that word precious seven times. And I'm not picking on Paul, but folks, even the Apostle Paul only used the word once. And he only used it in the context of gold, silver, precious stones. But Peter uses it over and over and over in the context of my precious Savior, His precious blood. He meant something to Him. 
His tone changed. The way he delivered the gospel changed. This is a man, I mean, and you got to think about it. Uh, you know, when Peter already went back out there and he's, he's fishing on his own again, and, and, I mean, you can picture that scene when the Lord had to say, Hey, Peter, come here. Come here. Yeah, yeah but Lord, not come here. Come here. Lovest thou me? Yeah, but, 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 but you're doing this, I need you to do this. Lovest thou me? Yeah, but what about John? Don't worry about John. Stay in your lane. Keep your eyes on your own paper. Lovest thou me? Folks, you, you know that that moment had a profound change on Peter because all you need to do is read his epistles and notice that his tone completely changed. I mean, how does a hard-charging Green Beret Special Forces guy go from all this to saying, precious, he's precious to me. It was his precious blood that was shed for me. My Savior is precious to me. Folks, I think sometimes we need to be reminded in that level of grace that, as the Bible says, right, if ye have, if so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, if you tasted that the Lord is gracious, then what does the grace taste like that we're sending back out? Does the grace that I give to you and to you and to you and to you and to you, does that grace taste just as good as the Lord's or, or is it a little bitter and tastes like Brussels sprouts? Because it's supposed to be just as tasteful. So a good reminder, 1 Peter 1.19, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. I think we'll get through it. 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. And hereby we do know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. He that saith, I know Him, and keepeth not His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Now, yes, we could absolutely get into a much deeper Bible study on what John means here, I think, by His commandments. Right? Because Christ Himself had commandments for us, right? Different than the law. I believe that that's what John is referring to. So this isn't what, and let's face it, people get mixed up in their doctrine in this. Oh, see, way back here, if I don't keep the commandments, I'm a liar and I'm a sinner. Not what he was talking about. <laughs> he was talking about those things that Christ Himself told us to keep. Okay, so again, that's another, another study. I'm sorry for rabbit trail. Squirrel! <laughs> I'm bad. All right. Um, but folks, I think John here, it's another great example. Maybe not as much of a change as Peter, because John, John was always kind of right there, right? The disciple whom Jesus loved. Um, but the thing that I also noticed, in a lot of John's verses, um, I think, let me uh, double check him. But yeah, look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children... These things write I unto you. John uses that phrase, little children, nine times. Folks, that is a very endearing term. And where did he get it from? He got it directly from Jesus Christ. Go check it out. You know, John chapter 13, verse 33. It's because Jesus Christ, as he's talking to his disciples, say, hey, my little children. Right? So, so what is John doing? He is now, he's copying. He's copying the Father. Hey, I learned from the best. <laughs> 
But again, it's, it's, that, it's that level of grace that we extend to one another to where we could call our, hey, my brethren, hey, my brothers and sisters in Christ, fellow little children. And, and I just see where that language is slowly disappearing from churches across the country. That it's not that endearment. It's not that word of exhortation. It's a, hey, brother, good to see you here this morning. Hey, sister, it's good to see you. I haven't seen you in a while. Yeah, I'll just be glad I'm here today. Okay. (laughs) Right back at you. So, like with Peter, there's the change in the tone when you read 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John as as he's truly reaching out to those that he loves because he he has that desire for the gospel to go out. He has that desire for people to understand uh, their their assurance in their salvation. So, do we regard each other that way? Do we regard each other as contemporaries? or as competitors? Do we regard each other as friend or as foe? Are we exhorting one another or are we comparing one another? So the common theme, when you look at all these verses and and maybe go back and and look them up each for yourself, but, but folks, each one of these like seem to show a really good picture of that stark contrast of man's ways and the things that we can create in our mind and the things that we think the way things should be done and the way we think things should be said versus God's ways. I mean, almost every single one of these verses can, can, can show you a really good picture of those differences. And... I don't want to take too much liberty where, where I say, like, well, man, I know this is what the Lord wanted. No, 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 no. This is what the Lord needed to remind me. If you get some of the overflow, praise the Lord. But I know where I needed to be stopped and slowed down and saying, hey, let's, let's, let's get back to focusing on my word. And even if we take something that's kind of random or corny or goofy or whatever is going one, two, three, four, I, I don't know. I got scrambled eggs for brains. I just kind of... That's what I'm telling. I'm like that dog, right? I'm just going to keep chasing my tail until I either catch it or, you know. But a word of exhortation to keep each other in the fight, keep each other on the firing line. Uh, Because, folks, as I've seen over these last few weeks, there are a lot of churches out there that are hurting. They're losing their pastors and you have people that are on all ends of the spectrum that they don't know. They're like, oh, well, man, now I don't, I've been listening to this guy for 10 years. I don't know if I could ever have believed a single word he said. Or, right? I mean, there's just a myriad of things going on. And, and if it's the devil that found his way to get in there, and I mean, let's face it, what do you want to do? Like, you cut the head off the snake, not calling pastor snakes. That's not what I'm saying. It's just a bad, bad analogy, right? But what I mean is, like, if, if he's just going to keep having his way to where he can knock out the people up here, What are you going to do? And I don't want to see that happen here. We have something special here. We have something rare here. And the only way that we're going to keep it is if we keep each other in the fight. Is there absolutely still a need sometimes of giving some correction, giving some rebuke, giving some reproving? Absolutely. 
but we're all fingers and toes and ears and eyes and noses. And When I think of all the people that are in here right now and the different uh, offices and administrations and things that are going on, whether it's from people that come in here and clean or people that cook or people that teach Sunday school, I, I, don't, I, I don't even want to... I, I bragged on our kids last week. They say, like, man, I... I know, you know, some kids at my church that could probably quote more scripture than most adults. Folks, that wouldn't be possible if it wasn't for a bunch of God-fearing, godly women that are in there teaching. It makes them just as important and just as vital to keeping this thing moving because there's a bunch of young men and women in here that know their Bible and love the Lord because of a bunch of women that want to stick by the stuff. So thank you, ladies. I know I don't get to say that enough, uh, but thank you for what you do in those Sunday school classes. It is absolutely vital to keeping this thing going. So I'm sorry I went a little longer than I I wanted to. So folks, with that, um, piano player wants to come on up. I hope that in the process of this that it met at least a little bit of everybody in here. Kind of like even what that verse in, in Thessalonians said, right? Whether it's the feeble-minded, the weak, the strong, the whoever. Um, folks, I hope it, hope it met you where you're at. If for whatever reason I missed you today and you want to come up and you're like, Mike, not a single word of that applied to me, then come tell me and I'll find, out, I'll find something on the spot.